You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. Hey, if you have your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 18 today. We've been in a verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter, working through the book of Matthew now for going on our our third year. And this year, as we've mapped out the year, we will finish Matthew in November. We'll uh, go to chapter 28, and we'll be done. And it's been an exciting journey to go through the book of Matthew together. I hope it's encouraged your heart as much as it's encouraged my heart. I've loved studying the book of Matthew with you. If you remember, the book of Matthew is outlined by five key teachings. And Matthew, in his literary writing of it, helps us see this by these phrases that he uses at the end of each of his. Do we lose the slides? Olivia, there they are, boom, yeah. Um, they, he, he marks it for us by these phrases, when Jesus had finished. And you can see it's the same phrase over and over again. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to maybe highlight that, or if you use your uh, version app, a Bible app, highlight that in your app as well. Just a good reminder that Matthew was working in a, in a in an orderly manner as he was writing the life of Jesus. And he was really outlining it by these five key teachings. So the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus finished, he said, when Jesus had finished. Then in Matthew 10, you had the, uh, the commissioning of the disciples as he was sending them out as sheep amongst wolves. And when Jesus had finished, commissioning them. Then you have the parables in Matthew chapter 13. And a parable is a, spirit, is a practical story that you see a spiritual truth in. And so Jesus uses eight different parables to help people see the spiritual truth. So those that would have eyes to see, they'd be able to see it. And those who don't have eyes to see couldn't see it. And so he spoke in parables, that teaching that he gave. And then we come to Matthew chapter 18, which will lead us obviously to Matthew 19 and verse 1, when it says, when Jesus had finished. And this teaching that Jesus is going to give now is focused on this one question that the disciples ask Jesus. So if you look at Matthew chapter 18 and verse 1, it says this, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So he begins by saying at that time. And what he's giving us in that phrase is we're in the sort of same mindset of what has been going on. If you'll remember in Matthew chapter 16, some commentators would say Matthew 16 is the pinnacle chapter of all the book of Matthew. And the reason for that is, is that in Matthew 16, Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Remember that? He takes them on a little field trip to Caesarea Philippi, and they're standing where all these gods were, and he says to them, who do you say that I am? And remember, Peter declares, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so for the first time in the book of Matthew, the disciples say, Jesus is the Messiah. 
Jesus is the king that we have been waiting for. And then Jesus makes that encouraging, courageous statement of, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, right? That's our charge. Like, he's going to build his church and the enemy can't stop our offense of pushing the church forward. In the Middle East, they can't stop the gospel moving forward because it is his church and he's going to build his church. So you have Matthew 16, this great moment with the disciples, then you come to Matthew 17, and remember at the beginning of Matthew 17, he, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, and they go up onto this mountain, and Jesus is transfigured before them. Remember, they get to see the glory of God, and when they see, they fall on this, their faces, and, and Moses and Elijah is there, and this is the evidence that Jesus is God. He's, he's showing them that he is the Messiah. So you can see that the disciples understanding of who Jesus is, is growing. And so they know that the kingdom of heaven, this rule and reign of Christ is coming. Now, we define the kingdom of heaven early on in our study, and we define the kingdom of heaven as this already not yet idea. The kingdom of heaven is that Christ one day, this not yet, one day he'll come and set up his rule and reign, right? And he'll rule and reign forever. But we're in this moment where he is still allowing people to come to him. He's still allowing people to become a part of the kingdom of heaven. He's showing grace. He's, he's allowing his kindness to lead people to repentance. So those of us that gather on a Sunday-to-Sunday -Sunday basis here called Antioch Bible Baptist Church, we are people who are submitting already to the rule and reign of Christ in our hearts. That's really what the church is. The church is a group of people who are saying, we know that one day Jesus is going to set up his rule and reign physically, but right now Jesus' rule and reign is in our heart and life. That's the church. And so we're gathering together to, to do that, to say we're submitting to his leadership in our lives. So the disciples here in this moment are thinking about that day that's to come, and they're thinking about who Jesus is and this whole kingdom idea that he's going to rule and reign, and their thoughts are going to, where am I going to be sitting at the table, right? Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Peter's probably like pretty confident, right? Like, I mean, I'm the one that nailed it, Matthew 16, pretty good, right? Like, I said it, and he was really proud of me for that on this rock. I'll build my church, right? Like he was pretty excited about it too. Then in Matthew 17, you can see Peter, James, and John sort of arguing with the disciples. Like, well, he asked us to go on the mountain. Sorry for you other nine losers, right? Like, but we're, we're probably going to sit pretty close to Jesus as well, right? So there was this sense in which there probably was some talk going on about who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And here's the question I think they're really asking is what does the king expect of his citizens, right? Like what, when you're asking something like who is the greatest in the kingdom, we have this debate in our culture, right? Like who's the greatest basketball player of all time? Well, there was really no debate, but some people like to talk about other players like LeBron James or Kobe Bryant, right? But we know Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all. There's really no debate there, but, but people like to sort of have those. And what are they doing with that debate? What they're saying is, what's the markers? Is it how long they played? Is it the stats? So what they're really trying to figure out is what's the expectation for greatness? And I think that's what the heart of the disciples here is with Jesus is 
What do you, like, what does it mean to be great in the kingdom of heaven? And so here's how I want to phrase our messages over the next two weeks. And that is this. What are the six marks of a great church, right? Because as a church, we are kingdom citizens because we're submitting to the rule and reign of Christ. And the disciples have asked Jesus, what is who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And I'm taking that to say there's a day coming when that will be. But for right now, this looks like our church. It looks like a group of people that are submitting to the rule and reign of Christ in their life right now. And so when Jesus answers this question, and this frames all of Matthew chapter 18, is this question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? What is Jesus looking for in his citizens who are part of the kingdom of heaven. Here's the six things, the six marks that I think we will find. The first is going to be humility. We'll see that today. Hospitality, protection, love, restoration, and forgiveness. These six things we'll find in Matthew 18 mark the life of a church that is great. A church who is living out what it means to be a kingdom citizens. So this probably wasn't the answer that the disciples thought Jesus would give, right? They probably weren't expecting humility or hospitality or this idea of restoration or forgiveness. That probably wasn't what was coming to their mind. They may have been thinking more of power, influence, prestige, right? All those kind of things. And Jesus says here, you want to know what greatness looks like in the kingdom of heaven, these are the th six things that you will see in a great church. And so here's how we'll look at it today. We will look probably at the first two, and then we'll catch up uh, next Sunday. Verse 2 says, And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them. So Jesus begins this teaching with a visual illustration. So Jesus calls to his uh, wherever they were standing together, and he calls a, dis, uh, a child to come and stand in the midst of them. In verse 3, he says, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus begins this fourth teaching by bringing a child right into the middle. Jesus was a great visual illustrator. And he brings this child and he looks at his disciples as, as they have just asked him this question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? As they're asking, what are your expectations for those who are involved in this thing called the kingdom of heaven? This rule and reign of the king. What is your expectation? And Jesus puts a child right in the middle of them and says, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, we understand that children are dependent people, right? Like as soon as a child comes out of their mother's womb, they are dependent on their parents. They're dependent on the mom to feed them, to take care of them, to wash them, right? They, they are a dependent creature, they cannot live without their parent. This is the visual picture that Jesus is giving to his disciples and to those that are present with him. He's not necessarily referring to a literal child. He's talking about those who follow Jesus are to become as children. 
The humility that he is speaking here of is a humility of dependence on God. That as a child is dependent upon their parent for life, so we, if we want to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, we must humble ourselves and become like a child. Not in the sense of mentally, right? He's not talking about a mental, like I gotta check my brain at the door when I follow Jesus. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, in my heart, I must become dependent upon the Lord. You heard it in all of the testimonies today. There was a moment in their life where they had to turn from themselves and trust in Jesus. They had to become dependent on him for their salvation and for their life. This is what he's saying when he says, if you want to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you have to become like a child. You have to humbly admit that you need God, that you need a Savior. I would propose to you today that most people don't take this step of faith in following Jesus because they're not willing to humble themselves. Because they're not willing to say, I need someone. So that's why you see, we go to all types of other things in our lives. When all we need to do is humble ourselves and say, I can't do this life on my own. I can't do the life to come on my own. I need to depend on Jesus for my life today and my future with him. And so I would ask you, has there been a moment where you humbled yourself before the Lord and became like a child and turned, as the scripture says, from yourself and trusted in Jesus and said, I, I can't. I can't do this anymore. I need you. Save me. Romans 10.13 says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That moment you turn from your sin and yourself and you turn to Jesus is the moment Jesus will rescue you from yourself and rescue you from your sin. And so he says, you can't, the, the front door to the kingdom of heaven is humility. And humility says, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. That's humility. I can't get through the door on my own. I can't earn my way through the door. Only through Jesus can I be a part of the kingdom of heaven. If you haven't made that decision, could I strongly encourage you to do that today? To put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? To walk out of this place as a child of the king, as a member of the kingdom of heaven, as a part of his church, that can happen today in your life if you'll put your faith and trust in him alone for your salvation. So Jesus says, when you're thinking of greatness, it's not about how powerful you are. When you're thinking of greatness in the church and in the kingdom of heaven, it's really about how humble you are. That you're willing to say, I can't do this life apart from Christ. That's how you enter. But here's how I would say, 
How do you keep living then within the kingdom? What did Paul say in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 5? As you received Christ, so walk in him. So how do I keep living after I've humbled myself and realized that I can't do this life on my own? I need him. I can't spend a future in heaven with God without Jesus. And I admit to that. How do I keep, after all that's happened, how do I keep living this life? Humility. Like a child. I keep depending on the Lord for everything in my life because I can't live this life apart from his grace, apart from his help. We must walk in humility. Here's the beauty of humility. The beauty of humility is that there is no one in this room who has it all together. And we are humble enough to admit and say that we need God. You're looking at a guy that doesn't have it all together. Just talk to my wife, talk to my kids, talk to the people I work with. They'll all tell you he doesn't have it all together. But I think as a church, we all don't have it all together. That's why we're in this room because we recognized that we needed a savior and how are we gonna keep living the life that God's called us to live? By recognizing I can't do this on my own. I'm dependent, like a child is dependent on a parent. I am dependent, you are dependent on our Father in heaven, and we can't do this life apart from him. That's humility. And the moment our church starts thinking, we got this, this program, this system, boy, we got it together, we're really making things happen, is the moment our church is heading for disaster. So as a church... We are dependent on the Lord and saying, God, if you will, as Bob taught us last Sunday, we would love to see you do hundreds of more baptisms, but you've got to do that. We would love to see you save and move and transform people's lives, but but we think this program will help. We think the system will help. We think this order of service will help, but unless you do the work, we can't do it. That's the kind of heart we have to have as a church family. This is what will make us a great church is if we stay humble before the Lord and saying, Lord, we are dependent upon you. Humility, that makes a great church. The second one, I'll end on this one. I went to the third one in the first service. I'm not really sure how this is going to work next Sunday, but we'll, we'll figure that out uh, when we get to next Sunday. The, 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 the second one is this, verse 5. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. John MacArthur, in his commentary on this chapter, says that word receive means to deliberately and readily take something or someone to oneself. The term was often used of welcoming honored guests and meeting their needs with special attention and kindness. So Jesus says to the disciples, you want to know what's great? Humility, that's greatness in the kingdom of heaven. That's a great church who walks in humility. But what is also great is hospitality. A church that welcomes the child of God. The church that has open arms to all who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You see, we don't size each other up. We don't show partiality if you live in a certain neighborhood. 
We don't show partiality if you wear certain clothes or you look a certain way. That's not welcoming. Jesus says we are to receive one another. We're to have open arms welcoming all who are children of God, who are a child of the king. And when we do that, we are receiving them as if it were Christ. Because he says when you welcome them, when you show hospitality to them, when you receive them, you are receiving me. So every Sunday when we gather together, when we go during the week and we're gathering in our Antioch groups and we're welcoming each other from different backgrounds, different places around the city, different uh, uh, financial statuses, all these different stages of life, as we're welcoming each other, what we're showing is we're showing Jesus to the world around us. Because as we receive one another, it's as if we are receiving Christ. That's the mark of a great church. The most hospitable place in all of the city should be right here. Right here. Because we receive each other as children of God. The thing that brings us together is not our politics. The things that bring us together is not where we work. The thing that brings us together is Jesus Christ. That's what we gather around. That's why we receive each other, and that's what will make us a great church. Father, thank you for a short message today because we got the opportunity to celebrate your work in so many people's lives. God, would you do so much more of that Please, we, we can't do, none of what we've saw today happens apart from our dependence on you. So please, do more because we need you to work and move because you are the hope of the world. Help us as a church to walk in humility. Help us to never be a church that thinks we've got it all together Help us to walk in humility and dependence on you and then help us to be a church that is, shows hospitality, that we're welcoming, that these halls and these groups and in homes all over the city, that there is a sense in which your spirit and your presence is there because we're welcoming each other around you. May you be evident through the life of our church. Thank you, Lord, for time together today. It's been a wonderful Sunday. You're so good to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.